Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Questioning Pornography podcast. This is your host, Lily. Last episode, we spoke about some of the negative effects that pornography can have on kids. And today, we are going to explore one part of a potential solution to that problem. So there's been growing discussion internationally about implementing age verification laws for the distribution and consumption of online pornography. Now, it's funny because in many countries, including my own, we already have age verification laws for offline pornography. You know, stores aren't allowed to sell pornographic DVDs or magazines to minors. But when it comes to the online world, the same kids can go on porn sites and see the most hardcore porn available, and there's nothing stopping them from doing that. So in some countries, they're starting to catch on to this contradiction, essentially, and they're beginning to explore what it would look like to legally require porn sites to verify the age of their users, beyond just a simple are you over 18 button that any kid can easily click yes to. Now, I live in Canada, where a bill on age verification is currently being debated in our Senate, and I'm very excited about it. And in the following episode, I'll be sharing an interview that I was fortunate to have some months ago with the senator who proposed this bill. Her name is Senator Julie Miville Duchesne. In the interview, I also spoke with Mr. Murray Perkins, who served as a key consultant for age verification legislation in the UK back when they were discussing implementing this kind of legislation. Now, unfortunately, in the end, the UK legislation ended up being dropped. It didn't go through, but Mr. Perkins is currently working with Senator Miville Duchesne, and they're both trying to see how we can overcome some of the obstacles that stop that legislation in the UK so that the senator's bill in Canada can be successful. So I hope you enjoy the interview, and I hope you learn as much from Mr. Perkins and the senator as I did. Well, Senator Miville Duchesne, we'll start with you. I was so excited when I heard about the bill you proposed on age verification, and I really want to thank you for that work. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little more about, first of all, what inspired you to propose this bill, and then now that it's been tabled, are there any obstacles specifically that you anticipate in getting it passed? And how do you intend to hopefully overcome these obstacles? Well, um, my background is a feminist background um, coming from Quebec. Others who will speak on the bills will have other backgrounds. And I think we can all agree that protecting children um, against exposure to pornographic material is something that should go beyond party lines. We are speaking about children. The, my, and I think my strongest argument is that outside of the web, we have laws that prevent children to have access to all porn material, um, magazines, films, sex shop. All of that is very controlled. Why would it be different on, on internet? We also have laws that protect kids from buying cigarettes and alcohol. We do not say it's the parents' responsibility to prevent them from buying alcohol. We have, we have laws. So why should parents be the only one responsible for that? Considering also that we know that, that parental um, filters have limits. Among the obstacles, I will, um, 
I will have two are defenders of privacy uh, because the third party age verification involves a certain amount of exchange of data. So, so this is going to be an issue. There's going to be an issue of freedom of expression. Are you going to censure the art? Are you, you know, education material? I'm sure there's going to be a lot of, um, of opposition on, on those two fronts. And, um, and we'll see. Uh, it's going to be an uphill battle. And uh, I think it's very important. I'm, I'm a mother of two. My children are exactly of the generation when uh, all that was accessible to them. Um, I don't think I had really, I, I, I realized the extents of it. I've watched some of those sites. It's degrading. It's not only soft porn as I used to, to think it existed when I was younger. It has become really worst and it has an effect <clears throat> on the perception of equality of uh, men and women on gender stereotypes. I'm sure some will say that the research is not clear because what we have in the research is association between watching porn and certain harms, but we don't have a causal, we, we haven't established yet in scientific terms, I mean, the, the, the absolute causal effect from one to the other. We have strong associations from what I read. Obviously, I didn't read everything and I, I will continue to read. Hi, this is current day Lily jumping back in again. Don't worry, I'll let you continue listening to the interview in a moment. But I just thought it would be important to add a note here, because this exact issue about whether or not the research demonstrates causality came up again in the Senate's most recent meeting on this bill. So Senator Julie Miville de Chêne actually asked about this issue to one of the experts who was testifying at the meeting, whose name is Dr. Gail Dines. And I thought it would be relevant and informative for you all to hear the response that was given. So I'm going to play the clip from that Senate's meeting. And just one little note, at the very beginning, Dr. Dines says that the longitudinal studies they have now show, quote, correlation rather than just causation. That was just a misspeak, and what she obviously means to say, and what she does indeed say later on, is that the longitudinal studies show causation rather than just correlation. So just keep that in mind as you're listening. I want to ask a question uh, to Dr. Gail Dines. Um, I've been, uh, you know, among the pushback that I've been having, one of them is to say that, yes, there are links between um, harms and, um, and exposure to um, pornography for young people, but science has not yet found causal relationship between those arms and um, uh, watching uh, porn. So can you tell me a little bit about this? Is it a, re a sufficient reason to um, not act? And uh, is this a true statement? You're Had muted. you brought up that question 10 years ago, I would have had said, indeed, 
um, we have lots of studies on correlation, but not on causation. In the last 10 years, there has now been a number of very robust studies that have got longitudinal data that are showing correlation rather than just causation, where they hold other variables constant, and the only variable that shifts is access to pornography. So in terms of how a social scientist approaches this, is you go with the weight of the evidence. And there is no question that the weight of the evidence is that pornography is both causally and correlated to all those issues that we talked about, violence against women, um, depression, anxiety in boys, um, lack of empathy for rape victims, more likely to sexually aggress. So no, first of all, the science is there. And we have, as I said, many years in the last 10 years has given birth to an enormous amount of science that's longitudinal and shows causation and correlation. And given that science, I think it is absolutely incumbent upon us to act given the nature of the science. All right. So after that little interjection, I'll be bringing you back to the interview. And Senator Miville Duchesne is continuing to talk about some of the obstacles she is anticipating. Finally, I'm sorry, it's because we all have many obstacles. The 16 to 18 years old, you know, some will say, well, they're almost adult. They have the right at 16 to have sexual relationship. It's the age, not the right, but it's the age of consent. So why should they be prevented to see sexual material? I'm sure there's going to be all kinds of, of, of obstacles, but I'm sure I will um, try strongly to overcome them. Well, thank you so much, Senator, for all the fantastic work you're doing in our government. It's very, very exciting to hear about. So I now want to address a few questions to Mr. Perkins. Mr. Perkins, you did a lot of work planning for implementing age verification in the UK. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little more about what methods have been explored to actually make this age verification effective. And maybe which methods do you think are the most promising? Yeah, sure. And then and thank you for the invitation. Yeah, there are a range of methods available and they will be different from territory to territory, but I think there are some fairly standard uh, options which uh, probably do cross territories most commonly. Um, and some of them are kind of what you would expect around uh, national identity documents or a passport or a driver's license, potentially a national uh, ID card in the UK doesn't have that, um, credit card um, or credit or, or uh, electoral roll uh, information that's, that's widely available. And some of these have been used in the UK at least for quite some time on gambling sites. So AV online is not new. And, um, and so the starting point for age verification is, you know, what's, what's in use at the moment. Um, but one of the things which I think is, is relevant and important when it comes to the uh, pornography sector as opposed to gambling is that there are some quite key differences between what's required if you're verifying for something like gambling as opposed to something like pornography and gambling. Um, for example, you have uh, requirements to know your customer, you have anti-money laundering requirements. So you have to get quite a lot of information from a person uh, before you're paying out any money to, to gambling. And in the UK more recently, uh, having to get that information, even if you're offering free gambling, so there's no payout. You, know, you don't actually have the, the uh, money laundering issues, but you, you, you still want to know who it is. When it comes to pornography, 
it's kind of the opposite. You don't want to know who that person is. You don't need to know who that person is. If you want to make it work, and, and um, you know, privacy concerns have already been raised, all you really need to know if you're verifying someone for pornography is that they're 18 or over. You don't even need to know their age. And, uh, and so looking at some of those methods, you know, what works in a gambling sector isn't going to work in uh, the adult sector. You know, no one's really going to want to put their passport details in or send a scan of their passport, even if it's going to a third party. Okay, some might, and it's going to work, but it's probably not going to be the best. So we, we saw some more innovative solutions coming through. Um, there's, uh, you could use a digital ID. Uh, so there's a, more than one company actually that offers a digital ID, something that would sit on your phone. Um, it would contain more information about you. It would have multiple uses. But the only thing that you would need to share with uh, an age verifier for the purposes of the adult sector would be the single attribute that you're 18 plus. That's the only thing that's um, handed over. So there's no name. There's no uh, other personally identifiable information just that one attribute that this person is over the age of 18. The rest of that information is, is, is held, and it's only held on your phone. So it's, it's a particularly sort of good, secure solution, but it does require that people sign up in advance to something like that. If people are really privacy conscious, if you, you, know, you just don't want to put anything online, um, there's a company that was offering a solution where you could go into a store, like a, a corner store or um, the local shop, and buy what was called a pass. Actually, it's, a, it's like a little tilde receipt that's got a 16-digit uh, number. And, uh, and that number, would uh, you would use that online to verify your age. The check itself has taken place in the shop, just as if you were buying uh, an age-restricted product like uh, cigarettes or alcohol. Um, and you would leave that up to the, the person in the shop. Okay, could that be gamed in, in different ways? Yes, it could. But... Um, but, you know, on the whole, would you have security around that? I think so. And you can have controls in place so that um, you would limit the number of these tokens that could be sold. For example, you can uh, put a time limit on them. So they're only good for, say, 12 hours. So you, one of the, the challenges is, you know, uh, a young adult might go in and buy 10 of them and then sell them to local children. Um, but you can put controls in place to protect that sort of uh, that sort of misuse. The other thing we had in the UK, and it may be um, you know less viable than other territories, you have to have the system in place. Is the mobile phone in the UK? You can't buy a new mobile phone without that mobile phone having filters already applied. And if you want to lift those filters from the phone, you've got to age verify with your mobile network. Um, and, uh, and once you've done that, you've effectively got an age-verified device in your mobile phone. So you could use your mobile number with a, a, an AV provider, put that number into the, uh, into the provider's system. They will send you back a text with a code to make sure the phone's in your possession and not just somebody that knows your number. And then you, you use that code and that would, uh, would be a means of verifying through the mobile. Again, it's um, in terms of privacy, you're not really giving up too much in the way of personal information, just your mobile phone, but actually there's a way of doing that technologically where you don't have to input your mobile phone, uh, where your mobile phone can simply be pinged. Um, that's a good solution, actually. I mean, it would happen 
instantaneously with um you know with no personal information apart from you know the kind of ip address that people would pick up anyway the um maybe more recent innovative solutions and I, I think probably one of the best and i can see how this would um, evolve online and have other uses as well is um, age estimation using uh, a sort of facial um, estimation technology you would um, use the camera on whatever device you're using to access the the platform and uh, and then have a, an image captured it um, it has a liveness element if I can describe it that way so it's a small sort of video element you would have to you couldn't put a photograph in front of it for example and game it that way you would have to uh, it would have to be a person um, actually looking into that camera now there's no there's no person on the other end of that it's just the computer it's AI if you like that um, Every time it sees the face and makes that uh, that estimation, it's getting better and better at uh, at making those judgments. It's it's remarkably accurate already, um, and uh, and I've I've followed this technology with the company that's uh, probably been the best in the UK at developing it. Just seeing it getting better and better and better, and uh, to the point. I mean, I would say now that it's probably better than the average person at estimating somebody's age um, because it's just done it so much and they've tested it and tested it with people with makeup, they've tested it with in schools with um, getting professional makeup artisans to try and sort of make children look older than they are. And it, it's it's really, really good at seeing through all of that. Um, tested it with different skin tones. It's it's pretty thorough. And as I said, it will only get better. The the great thing about it is there's no personal information apart from if you like the biometrics of you know your face being captured, but that doesn't need to be held and it's not held. Um, could they hold it? Yes. Would people trust it? That's another matter. Can you uh, assess that? Can you certify that? Can you say, you know, you're only going to be able to use this if we can, you know, look at your system and confirm that you're not keeping the information. We can certify that that's not being held, that nothing's being sort of captured that can be hacked and nothing can be passed on. So, I mean, I, I think to the, the question of, you know, what's, what's coming through, what's growing, I think that sort of thing is really at the forefront. Um, and I think one of the things that's quite important that we we did in terms of our approach is we didn't we didn't select a single product. We didn't select a single company or a small range. Um, you know we we set out standards that had to be achieved and uh, and then looked to those companies to meet those standards, but also to innovate and also to compete. And, uh, and in that competition, we saw the cost of age verification go down massively within about a year. Uh, and that had been one of our early challenges. One of the things people said that, uh, you know, age verification wouldn't work, it would be too expensive. Well, we, you know, we were able to see that addressed through competition in the industry. And, uh, and I think innovation is something in this space that we will just continue to see. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Perkins. That was very informative, and I really appreciate all your knowledge on this issue. Now, Senator, going back to you, as we talk about the various different methods that are used for age verification, I'm wondering to what extent that will be informing your bill. So, for example, is there any room in your bill for the government to monitor, to a certain extent, what methods are used in order to ensure that they're satisfactory. And by satisfactory, I mean, first of all, that 
they're reasonably effective in actually preventing children from accessing pornography, but then also satisfactory with respect to things like privacy concerns. As I know, both you and Mr. Perkins mentioned that fear for privacy is one reason why people may oppose age verification legislation. Would you be able to speak to that? If you don't mind, I would like to pop back a question to Mr. Perkins uh, when he talks about face verification. This, this identification of the face should, should be done by the, the porn site and not by a third party, because in this case, it's just a face. So you need to do it right at the entry point. And every time you enter the, you know, one porn site, it could not be dealt with as the other methods with a token. Uh, am I wrong? Um, well, I mean, there, there, are, there are always going to be different ways that you could implement a piece of technology like that. Um, in, the, in the way that it's been put together uh, by a company, and there's, actually there's more than one company, but let's just, I'm sort of, in my mind, thinking of a company which I think is at the forefront. They, they would, in the case of uh, a porn service, they would still be the third party which sits at the, the front of that website. Okay. And your okay. verification would be with them. Okay. Separate from the porn site. And they would still then be able to issue a token. So it's it simply okay, takes could the be place done. of a standard A B check. Okay. So so that's you know, when I will talk about age verification, I think it's really important to insist on the fact that a third party has to do it. Nobody has any confidence in porn site. They're in conflict of interest to start with. So you know, I, I don't have any confidence in the fact that it, they would not keep information and all that. So a third party is important. Standards are absolutely important. I was talking to a company, a British company, who said um, they were using this system of having a real person. Because for me, this idea of, you know, putting a picture, it, you know, doesn't do anything. You need to have a real life picture of somebody and the documents. So there are methods now to chop up information in the systems so it cannot be reconstituted. I'm not explaining it very well in English because it's my second language, but there are now technologies that help to, to, um, to diminish the risk uh, for privacy. Obviously, I think what was the most interesting here is that no methods now complete and full method has been has been tried out you know everybody's thinking about it people are trying out stuff but we're still in the experimental phase and I think this will be an argument for the people against it but it's moving fast uh, I already received phone calls from companies who are interested there's money to be made so as, as, uh, as Mr. Perkins says, we have to count on competition and innovation to help out on those issues. But the big thing that stopped um, uh, movement in, in UK was privacy. Uh, people, you know, I read that people were afraid of having a, a repertory of, um, of porn users. Uh, so, but, you know, I'm sure there were other reasons why um, uh, Boris Johnson dropped it, uh, political reasons, but it is the main concern. And to be frank, I haven't found all the answers. 
Um, the beauty of a, of a law is it's progressed from first reading, second reading, then you have a committee uh, who hear witnesses, and obviously you try to pick up witnesses that are very knowledgeable and to 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 about about what it is those those age verification system, uh, and 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 obviously I won't have all the answers. You heard Mr. Perkins. All that is evolving. Well, thank you so much to both of you for your valuable insights. I really appreciate that. Moving on to another question for Murray Perkins. I know that one of the main concerns about age verification and something I'm currently trying to wrap my head around is just how is this going to work with respect to the international nature of the web and jurisdictional issues of the law, so to speak. So let's say, for example, Canada goes ahead with passing age verification legislation. Presumably that would allow them to regulate Pornhub and all the other MindGeek porn sites, since MindGeek is a Canadian company. But could MindGeek simply move its servers to another country and would that allow them to escape the Canadian laws on age verification? And is Canada able to do anything about all the other porn companies that aren't based in in Canada. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it, I mean, it's a, it's, I think it's a really good question. And um, I mean, one of the challenges in, I think, making age verification work in, in, in practice um, is a level playing field for the, for the adult industry. And I, I, I sort of I kind of worry I sometimes might come across as a as really don't want to a bit of an apologist for the adult industry because you know I spent quite a bit of time with the industry and um, trying to understand what they you know what they what they needed and not that this is about what the porn industry needs because it's obviously not and um, you know not sort of sympathies there but there are there are ways for the industry to circumvent almost any control that we would put on them. Um, understanding what's going to work within the adult industry is, is the way I saw it was the best way to achieve a high level of compliance, which is really what we want. You know, was, um, you know, uh, it's how I saw my job was to make sure that we had high levels of compliance within the adult industry, because if they didn't carry age verification, we just would sort of be running around constantly trying to uh to enforce against different companies and they would just move about and do all sorts of uh, things to circumvent and we needed consumers to use age verification because if they didn't then uh adult industry you know the companies would pull it because of you know the traffic just went through the floor if they lost that much revenue there would come a point at which age verification the enforcement action was worth circumventing uh, so we needed to stop them, you know, prevent any kind of uh, incentive to, to circumvent. So, so a level playing field was was important. Um, and one of the best ways to achieve a level playing field is to ensure that the enforcement action is applied across the board evenly. Um, you know, if it is, as you said, if it's only about um, one state or, you know, one, uh, the, the companies operating within one territory, so, you know, you have to find enforcement tools which aren't going to be restricted by uh, sort of domestic limitations. 
And I think that's where um, blocking is, is one of the, the better approaches. Because if you're talking about blocking, it doesn't really matter where a porn site exists. It doesn't matter where the company is. It doesn't matter where it's hosted. It doesn't matter where the servers are. And it doesn't matter, uh, you know, if it has other territories that it can move around to, like a, like a mind geek, you know, because it's, it's in quite a few territories. Obviously, it's, it's uh, head offices in Montreal, but it's, you know, it's got a presence in a, in a lot of other places. Um, but with blocking, we're talking about internet service providers within a territory. So for Canada, you have your Canadian internet service providers. They're who you deal with. Um, for the UK, we were dealing with the UK internet service providers, X-Line or, or, or mobile, both. Um, and the requirement is on them. You know, they have that presence. They're in the country. You can, within the legislation or within the regulations, you can put a requirement on them to take whatever action is requested or demanded. And, uh, and that can be to block access within the UK or within Canada or any other territory access to that site. Now, the company can look at that and say, well, you know, I don't, I don't care about the UK. But actually, they do care about the UK because it's the, you know, if you're a mind geek or a lot of the other big tube sites, it's the second biggest market outside the United States. And I, I would hazard a guess that I have the stats in front of me that Canada's, you know, pretty, pretty uh, important market to them as well. So they don't want to lose that traffic. They're not going to lose the global, it's going to affect them globally, but they don't want to lose that traffic because that's worth quite a lot of money to them. And they'll have to make a decision, is age verification more or less painful than the loss of traffic? And in most cases, age verification will be less painful than the loss of traffic because they're going to lose the traffic one way or another. You know, age verification will cost them traffic. A block will cost them even more traffic. So, you know, uh, I think we had that advantage because if you don't put age verification in place, you will get blocked and you will get blocked quite quickly. And, uh, okay, you're going to lose traffic, but not as much. So that's, that's one way that you can have an impact on the global industry without having, you know, uh, sort of reach through the legal system outside of, you know, the uh, single country. You, you can you can sort of deal with that. We had the other power that we had, which I think was probably um, arguably actually the better power, was being able to request payment services to withdraw those services. We, um, in, in, in essence, we could go to Visa, we could go to MasterCard, and we could ask them to withdraw services from a non-compliant site. And we went to Visa and we went to MasterCard. And in this case, we could only ask them. We couldn't compel them. But, um, but when we put that to them, in both cases, they said they would take action. If we came to them as a regulator with this, uh, you know, with this legislation and said, can you withdraw services, they would. MasterCard, they have a, a, a global hub in New York that deals with these sorts of things. For them, um, a breach of in this case, the UK law, they would have considered to be a breach of their global rules. And, uh, and through the right checks, they would then go to that company's acquirer and make that company withdraw the services. That's a massive impact. You know, and you can, that, that, again, you don't have to have reach outside of the country. You can rely on a company that has that reach themselves. It has their own global rules to, to do that. If MasterCard 
did that, then that company wouldn't get a MasterCard payment anywhere in the world. So, you know, a company based in LA taking a payment from Vancouver, that wouldn't go through if they were using MasterCard because of uh, the lack of age verification in the UK. So again, you, you sort of, it's about, I guess it's about the having the right enforcement tools, which you can action from within a, com- uh, within a country, but which will have an impact on them globally. Um, you know, we, we had fining within the Digital Economy Act. We didn't want fining in the, um, among the powers that we could use and we weren't designated with it because in that case, we would have had to have been chasing them around different territories. Um, it would have been costly. It would have uh, both time and, uh, and just the expense of doing it and it all likelihood wouldn't have been successful. Um, it's a good example of sort of not having, you know, if, sure, if they were in the UK, that would be fine. But outside the UK, it would be very difficult. So, um, so you know, there are enforcement tools that will work and enforcement tools that, um, that won't. Well, once again, that was extremely helpful and informative, Mr. Perkins. Thank you so much. Now, you spoke about the possibility of porn companies finding a way to circumvent the age verification laws. And I'm wondering if we can take this a step further and talk about children circumventing the age verification barriers, especially in this day and age, as we know that a lot of children are very tech savvy and resourceful. And I know that specifically in the UK, one of the concerns that seemed to hold back the age verification legislation and lead to it being dropped in the end was just this concern about all these children who can use VPNs and easily circumvent the age verification barriers in that way. So what do you have to say about all of those concerns? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, you're right. It, it's a question that we got um, on a regular basis. I mean, you know, at, at least, at least sort of, if not weekly, it was sort of every couple of weeks or so, it would, it would be raised VPNs in particular. Um, but circumvention in general. And I guess, I mean, there, there, are, there are a couple of things to say, and uh, sort of more, more broadly. Um, one is... There's no perfect solution here. There, there is no perfect solution. That's the one thing that can be 100% guaranteed is that there is no 100% guarantee that kids will be prevented from accessing adult content. That's, and that, that, that's like a, it, it won't ever change, I don't think. I can't conceive of it changing because there will always be ways around technology. Um, and that will be true, most especially for older teenagers more motivated teenagers that want access to the content. The, 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 the choice then is, you know, do you go ahead knowing that or do you think that's a, a sort of a showstopper? And for me, it's a kind of a no-brainer. You go ahead. You go ahead because, you know, the, the average age for uh, access is around 11. And yes, it can be a lot younger and we, we some of the research that we did, it was kind of seven, I think was the youngest age. But at that age of 11, you know, it's stumbling across. It's not, it's not looking for it in most cases. And doing something about that is, is worth it. Full stop. I mean, that's worth it. That, that if all you did was protect under 13s, that's worth it. I mean, that's massively worth it. So, you know, I think we have to accept that it's not perfect, that there will be circumvention, and that can, that can take different forms, but it's still worth it. 
you know i mean if, if people were introducing seatbelts to cars and say let's you know what let's not introduce seatbelts until we can be pretty sure it's going to stop 100 percent of deaths on the road you know because if it's not what's the point well clearly there's a point because it's going to have an impact it's not going to stop everything but it's going to have an impact of course you put seatbelts it would be madness to take seatbelts out of cars right and i think i see age verification in similar terms and you can use a range of analogies but it's better than what it would be without age verification under the general points more specifically on vpns research that um some of the uk on vpns at 11 years old it was something like about seven percent of children sort of knew or used vpns seven percent isn't that high you know that's 93 percent of 11 year olds who are not using vpns and we did do research more recently and then that sort of was backed up you know young children aren't using vpns adults tech savvy adults especially sort of you know tech press who are uh critics of controls on the internet like to suggest that use of vpns is much more prevalent and that it will just take off with age verification uh, the introduction of age I don't see it, you know, an 11 year old that's not looking for pornography that only stumbles across pornography is not going to face an age verification wall and think, you know what I need is a VPN. I don't think that's realistic. Personally, I don't think that's realistic. Um, and yes, if some do, you're still on to a big win because a majority, even still a majority, are not accessing uh, adult content through a VPN. And yeah, fine, if a 15 year old does. In a way, okay, it's not fine. Of course, it's not fine. But if you're thinking about the introduction of age verification, isn't it still a win to have age verification? And you accept that the 15-year-old that is pretty set on finding pornography is going to find pornography. That then becomes a different part of the, uh, you know, the, the, the solution. Age verification is not the solution. Age verification is a part of the solution. It goes hand in hand with things like education. It's not an either or. It doesn't have to be. You know, these are complementary approaches. And um, that's, I mean, that's the way, you know, we should be seeing it. That's the way I would, would sort of put it in terms of uh, how you approach it with critics. Okay, yeah, you're right. VPNs are a way around it, but that doesn't mean it's not worth doing. Well, that brings us to the end of our interview with Senator Mivir Deshane and Murray Perkins. I hope you found it informative. And if you'd like to keep up to date with the progress on the Senator's bill, I've dropped a link for that in the show notes. And of course, if you want to hear future interviews and conversations about pornography-related issues, then don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. We hope to see you back and have a great day.